Welcome, VCF family, wherever you may be today, um, somewhere in California, somewhere around the nation, or somewhere on the other part of the world. We welcome you and we're delighted that you're here. I, it's, it's hard to believe that we're already in the last Sunday of April of this year, like a, a third of the year is already done. And this Sunday is, is kind of symbolic because it is actually going to be the last Sunday that the preacher is going to be preaching from the chapel. As of next Sunday, we're going to be moving on over to the sanctuary. So it's very symbolic of sort of what's happening um, as we all kind of march out towards um, some kind of normalization coming out of the COVID pandemic. Um, I share with you um, this morning, um, as a family medicine physician working at Kaiser, um, it has been a very sobering, humbling experience to serve as a family medicine physician and uh, being a man of faith and also watching um, COVID-19 kind of ravage through uh, our community like something we've never, ever seen before. Um, while we do see light at the end of the tunnel uh, now with vaccines coming around and more and more people getting vaccinated and us marching towards herd immunity, um, it is still a sobering thought to know that we've lost over 570,000 lives in this country um, since the pandemic started and 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 we've had over 63 million cases positive cases in the United States alone um, and so it it it's it's with a heavy heart um, that we reflect back but we also are very hopeful now as we move towards uh, opening up society it's kind of a refreshing thing for us to see the color tears going from purple to red to orange to yellow as more and more businesses are opening up, as more and more schools are opening up, as more and more restaurants are open up to to in-person dining, and we're kind of getting back to our new normal, and that has been encouraging to see. My heart still remains heavy, though, as, as I walk through people, walk with people through this pandemic, um, Eve isn't, as I speak to you this morning, I have, I'm reminded of a cousin of mine I have in Washington DC right now, who's a nephrologist himself, who was battling for his life on a ventilator. Um, the doctors have given him a 50-50 chance, and that's his reality right now. Um, we, I, every day at work, I'm still seeing patients who are uh, dealing with some of the long-term consequences of um, having gotten COVID-19 in the past, whether it's lung problems, pulmonary fibrosis, and scar tissue from past infection, or having lost their sense of smell, or body aches, or headaches that are still lingering on. So I'm still reminded every day that we're not quite out of the woods yet, but there is hope, and there is hope at the end of the tunnel. Now, um, last time I spoke to you guys that I had the honor of preaching, um, I, I, I wanted to just kind of remind everybody um, that, that despite all the chaos of the COVID-19 season, God has very much been faithful. He has very much been faithful. And last time I preached, I shared about how 
the Lord had um, healed our daughter Ariella um, from a condition called nephrotic syndrome. And um, how Jarina and my, my wife Jarina and myself had recovered from COVID-19 ourselves in February of last year. And, um, and talk about God's faithfulness to us on March 26th of, uh, of this, uh, of this year. Uh, my wife and I were delighted to welcome our third child, uh, Johanna Nandakumaran into the world. And, um, and we, and I'm sure you can see by the picture that's posted how cute and adorable she is. God's hand was very, very much, uh, upon, uh, my wife during the time of her third C-section and upon our baby, um, who, when the doctor pulled her out, she was wrapped in her umbilical cord in so many directions, and the umbilical cord itself was twisted uh, so many ways that her OBGYN, when she delivered her, said in all her career, she had never, ever seen a baby that was knotted up so much. Um, and you know what? Her name, Johanna, means God is gracious, the baby's name. And she has started living up to her name from the moment she was born because so many things could have gone wrong while she was in my wife's womb and during the time of the delivery with so many knots and so many umbilical cords all all over her body. But God's hand was on her life. And so we have seen the graciousness of God every step of the way um, through this pregnancy. You know, it's been great to be a part of the VCF community during this time. Uh, In the last couple of weeks, I finally had a chance to actually call in at least once a week and be a part of the noontime prayer and to see testimony after testimony among the prayer warriors here about stories of how God's hedge of protection has been around our community. And for those people that we are interceding for in prayer, that's been amazing to see. When there's been so much negativity and death and gloom, to see God breathing life and bringing back people from areas of near death and darkness uh, and hopelessness into breakthroughs, and miracles and wonders has just been amazing. And to to track with the community of believers here from time to time has been an amazing experience. So making a huge plug in for those people who haven't yet called in at, for noontime prayer, please do so if you haven't already. Now, as we start to move out of the pandemic, um, one of the things that um, has happened uh, that's interesting is that different towns and cities and states have kind of opened in a staggered way, right? Some places are, are still in, uh, still filled with high COVID cases and get a purple designation and some others, um, it's less prevalent. So it gets a red designation and so still others go down to level tier three with an orange designation and then others are fully open because they're at a yellow uh, tier four designation. It's been sort of neat to kind of see the staggered reopening. But one of the consequences of the staggered reopening is that people 
who may be in one tier have been looking over at other people in another tier and wondering to themselves, oh my goodness, I can't wait to get back to my favorite restaurant like those people in that state. Or I can't wait to go to that baseball game like people in this state. Or I can't wait to run back to that amusement park like the people in that state. Um, and, and, and I've, and sociologists and psychologists have really picked up on this rising level of, of people, um, experiencing what, um, our culture has now called FOMO or, or that stands for F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. As some people are just getting really anxious about not being able to engage and enjoy the things that other people seemingly are able to, to start doing again. And this is, this FOMO phenomenon, it's not just among crazed teenagers, right? Looking at social media apps, but everybody in all seasons of life, all ages, um, there's been sort of this nationwide rise of FOMO. Now, it's an interesting term, FOMO. It was actually coined in 1996 by a graduate student at Harvard Business School, um, Dr. Dan Herman. Um, and it became so prevalent in culture since, since his initial paper in 96 that by the time 2013 rolled around, the Oxford English Dictionary actually made it an official word. And they defined it as this, anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may uh, currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media or a website. Now, while it hasn't really, this term really hasn't made it over into my world in the medical community, we don't really have it as an official diagnosis in the DSM-5 um, book, which is sort of the, the book that us doctors use in the world of psychiatry to, to label psychiatric and mental conditions. Make no mistake, it is definitely a phenomenon, um, and a, a phenomenon that is kind of growing in intensity as we become more and more... Um, uh, a part of a culture that 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 has so many platforms where things can be posted so quickly. Now, I'll tell you, you know, I am not, and my family is not at all exempt from FOMO. Um, the other day, um, or actually often, uh, now that we have uh, a third child um, and we have three children under the age of four, um, whenever we, whenever my wife and I get some downtime and we decide we want to watch Netflix, uh, there are so many different movie options right on Netflix that this is how the conversation goes in our home. Um, I'll be sitting on the couch. My wife, Jarena, will be sitting on the couch at maybe about 9, 9.30. The kids are finally asleep. And we will literally look at each other and say, what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch? And we will literally spend about 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes maybe, going through different trailers, trying to figure out what we want to watch, right? Because we have the fear of missing out 
on the on on the next best film or the next best TV series that we want to get into that's going to be worthy and because there's so many choices and we can decide finally at the end of 30 minutes we look at each other and say ah we're just so tired now let's just go to bed and we go to bed without seeing anything um and so uh we are definitely not exempt from this um you know while the phenomenon of fomo is 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 not new to us in human history um it's definitely been accelerated in in recent in recent history right platforms like facebook and instagram um literally people every second every minute who you may be friends with are kind of posting up pictures of the best versions of themselves and everything wonderful that's happening in their lives right the exotic trips they're taking the wonderful people they are meeting the the exquisite food and cuisines that they are partaking in or uh something funny and wonderful that happened um trips that they're taking with their family and friends and um it is very very possible in this day and age for people while while people post these best versions of their life and their experience millions of others sit at home and they look at these instagram posts and facebook posts and they wonder to themselves huh why aren't such exciting amazing things happening to me why am i not meeting such extraordinary people why am i not getting to travel to such exotic beautiful locations why are things not falling into place in glorious ways like it seems to be happening for every other person i know because every 5 minutes i see sort of a breakthrough post happening and coming from my extended family and friends and relatives and so what we have found what researchers have found is that dwelling in cycles of fomo can be very 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 devastating to one's self-esteem. I don't think you need a rocket scientist to to tell us that. Um but but yeah, it it can really 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 um affect one's self-esteem. Now as believers, it it has a way of making us feel like we are less valued or less loved by God. It makes us feel like God the God of the universe who breathed life into us is somehow holding something back from us that is fundamentally so good, right? Like we sang earlier this morning that goodness will come after me, but people who are stuck in cycles of FOMO, they think that God is withholding something that is so fundamentally good that goodness is not coming after them that they're missing out on the goodness that's happening to everybody else but ourselves and so it makes you wonder does god really love me as much as other people has he forgotten me have i gotten the short end of things what am i missing out on if you're wondering you know what was the birthplace of fomo when did it first happen in human history um and i and as i was really diving into god's word this week and preparing for the sermon it really struck me that the genesis account really 
um, was the first, first, first incidence of FOMO happened. It involved Adam, it involved Eve, it involved a serpent in the Garden of Eden. So if you have your Bibles at home or you can look on the screen, we're going to jump into God's Word um, in Genesis and take a look at when first FOMO started. But before we do so, I'm just going to pray for us. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that people's hearts would be opened, um, that every distraction, uh, every distress, anything that is preoccupying people's minds right now, Lord, that they would just be able to put that aside, that you would bring calmness, that you would bring clarity, that you would take away everything that is hindering your word, Lord, from penetrating people's hearts and minds. And so, Lord, we we ask that you would prepare people's hearts and let your Holy Spirit bring conviction in in the minutes ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's jump into God's Word. Let's take a look at Genesis uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. It's a story well known to you, but I'm just going to read it real quick so we can just all get a sense of how FOMO first entered the world. Okay? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Church, do you realize what just happened here? The serpent actually made the woman feel like she was missing out on a particular fruit from the tree that was in the middle of the garden right? God had said anything in the garden was fair game, just avoid that one tree in the middle. And the devil in the form of a serpent knew to come to Eve and say, you know what? You're missing out. You're missing out on something because this this fruit from this tree that God has forbid you has um, the promise of giving you some kind of knowledge or wisdom. And the serpent convinces her that um, that she'll surely not die when she eats of this forbidden fruit, um, but rather consuming it would somehow cause her eyes to be opened and put her on equal footing with God. Right. So we see here that 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 fear of missing out is introduced by the serpent to Eve, and Eve literally bites it. Right, and then and bites the fruit and passes it over to uh, to Adam on her side. The fear of missing out 
was what is what causes Eve to eat of the first fruit, right? From this forbidden tree. And the ramifications of her having disobeyed God's one command, don't eat of this fruit, right? But she was so fearful of missing out that God was somehow withholding something good by her disobeying, disobeying God um, through her spirit of FOMO, the implications, the ramifications of that disobedient act was huge. It was huge, right? Because as you know, as you read the Genesis biblical narrative, you will know that that's how death came into this world. That's how women would be, would be, would be told that they would go through great labor pains when they brought children into the world. That's how God said that because of this obedience, man will toil and work hard the ground in order to grow fruit and sustenance. And that that one act of disobedience causes Adam and Eve to be banished from the Garden of Eden. You know, God, from the very dawn of time, from the very dawn of time, um, takes man's behavior stemming from FOMO very, very seriously, right? The implications of that disobedience was huge. But let's not today spend the morning kind of criticizing Adam and Eve and putting all the blame on them, right? The the scripture is chock full of examples of of characters uh, who we hail as our fathers and mothers of faith who... um, who also had issues with FOMO, all right? All you have to do is fast forward a little bit in Genesis and you get to the story of Abraham and Sarah. And what happens? Abraham and Sarah are told that uh, they will give birth to uh, a generation and through them they would have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But guess what? Sarah gets to age 90 and she begins to wonder and doubt God's promise coming through because of the reality of her natural state. And what does she do? She gets her maid servant Hagar and says, you know what, Hagar, why don't you go and lie with my husband Abraham so that you can give birth um, to an heir, to a child, and then I can not, therefore, then I can take that child and not miss out on motherhood. Because at age 90, I don't see how motherhood is going to happen in my natural state. And I am fearful of missing out on motherhood and, and the promises of God. And, and so here, I don't want to miss out. I'm going to function this way and get you to go and lie with my husband. Imagine that. Imagine a wife telling her maidservant to go and lie with her husband um, so that um, she won't miss out on her fear of, of, of not being a mother, right? And it doesn't stop with Abraham and, and Sarah. You look at the nation of Israel, right? As Moses is taking them through and they decide that Israel, the nation of Israel decides while, while, um, Moses is up the mountain speaking with the Lord, they decide we don't want to miss out on, on, on being able to worship God. And so what do we do? We will look around. We will see what the neighboring nations are doing. And we will build a golden calf. And we will worship a golden calf, a man-made object, as a form of, as our idol worship, um, just because we don't want to miss out 
on the experience of worshiping an idol just like our other neighboring nations do. Right? And it doesn't stop there with the nation of Israel. Even during times of prosperity, right? You look at, um, not just wandering in the desert, but you look at King David, right? King David decides, um, you know, I don't want to miss out on sensual pleasure. So he looks out and he sees um, one of his general's wives, Uriah's wife Bathsheba, and she takes her into an adulterous relationship because he doesn't want to miss out on sensual pleasure. And if you think David, it stopped with David, you'd be wrong. You fast forward to his son Solomon, right? Solomon, um, who who the scripture calls the, the wisest man of his of his time. He asked for wisdom, God gave it to him, and, and likely he was the most wealthiest king of the time in the entire earth. Um, and this is what um, Solomon does, right? Solomon reigns for 40 years during a time in the nation of Israel, like from 970 BC to 930 BC, a time when the nation of Israel had it was experiencing so much prosperity. Um, and during his 40-year reign, King Solomon decides, you know what? I don't want to miss out on any good thing. I don't want to miss out on any good pleasure. So therefore, I'm going to go chasing after it all. Um, if we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, um, here is Solomon's confession about, about what FOMO did for him. We read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. These are the words of Solomon. I tried cheering myself up with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses for people and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruits in them. I made reservoirs of water, groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, in all this my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my labor, and this was the reward for my toil. Now watch this. Watch how he ends in verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and all what I had toiled to achieve, everything, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Nothing was gained under the sun. Wow. He was the wisest, wealthiest king of his generation saying that he went after everything because he was fearful of missing out. 
and the all the end sum of it all it was like chasing the wind it was like chasing the wind and so you see old testament is full of characters who functioned out of a spirit of of fomo and and um as the biblical narrative would tell us suffered greatly for it now I, i'm not going to sit here this morning and and present to you um a self-righteous picture of my uh, of of me um you know i will say so many times in high school and in college in my life i heard people come up to me and say you got to try something at least once right um uh, you don't know what you're missing unless you try it and I'll be honest I I I'm thankful that for the majority of the time either because I was too scared or because I was too studious um I actually passed up on a lot of those offers but I saw the devastation that that spirit of FOMO had on so many people around me right so many people uh, including a lot of my Christian colleagues through InterVarsity You know, I I wish I could tell you that my entire adulthood was marked by me fleeing from functioning out of FOMO, but that would be a lie. Some of the poor decisions I've made out of a spirit of FOMO in my life to this day have had some negative consequences, some of which I'm still battling through. Um and I thank God that he is so gracious. that is so gracious. I've struggled with bouts of anxiety and uh worry many times in my adult life. Um and often kind of looking at the world around me at different seasons of my life and wondering has life really passed me by. Now I'm aged 42 right now and I very much remember me being 35 7 years ago. uh well before i was married and had three children now as i do but 7 years ago um i remember what that that feeling of being single and um go, and most people in my sri lankan community my sri lankan ethnic community would actually make me feel very very shameful for being single in my 30s as if that was the most egregious shameful state to be in. Uh but that was what I dealt with in my cultural immediate setting. Um and church, I believe that for many of you this morning as you're listening to me, I believe sincerely that that you are dealing and you may be dealing with FOMO in your respective seasons of life. Right? um there are many amazing single people in our church um who have felt devalued and and so much so but and and sometimes it comes from people within the church and and it makes you think um god like when when are you bringing that significant someone into my life right uh, am i missing out am i missing out on all that i have for you um uh, just because i'm single There's some of you who are struggling with poverty, who are struggling with low incomes and you're wondering, "Gee, it would be nice to be able to go to a restaurant and and just even a a a a 
a, a, a reasonably priced restaurant and be able to eat out. I see my friends fo- posting stuff all the time on Instagram and Facebook of all the fancy places they they dine at. I would just love to be able to afford to take my family to a place where I can get a $15 meal from time to time. But your finances don't allow you to and you wonder to yourself, am I really missing out? There are those of you who are married who are um, wondering, you know, I don't need three children. I don't need two. Lord, just give me one child. Just give us one child, right? You called us into union like this as a husband and wife. And, and we look around and we see all our friends with children and we love to be able to engage in that way. We think you've given us the skill set to be wonderful parents, but then we are struggling to have a child, our first child, and and we feel like we're missing out. Right? There are some people who find yourself stuck in jobs and there's just no upward mobility. You look around and you see all your colleagues getting promotions and moving on up the the job ladder and you see that ceiling and you can't seem to break it. There are others of you who are probably in your midlife and, and, and kind of going through a midlife crisis, realizing, oh my gosh, I should have accomplished so much more by this time. And, and I'm kind of running in circles and I see everybody else around me hitting their milestones financially and career goal wise. And, and I'm just still stuck. And then maybe you're a little bit older. And, and you are in the elderly season of your life and you are looking back on your life and saying, geez, maybe I'm in my 70s now and maybe I'm in my 80s. And by this time, I thought I would be uh, having a legacy that would be cheered by the generations um, that come after me. But I, my life has kind of amounted to relatively nothing compared to friends and family that I know. And so no matter what season you're in right now, I, I believe that this weighs heavily on a lot of people's hearts, that you have maybe missed out and that you are continuing to miss out in this current season, that God is somehow withholding something good, fundamentally good uh, to you or from you. Now, maybe you you know this and what you've been hit with is people saying you know what seek ye first the kingdom of god just seek god's kingdom first and all these other things will will be added unto you if you've grown up in the church you have actually probably heard that multiple times and it may even hit you on a spiritual level as a very trite thing because you've heard it so many times, but that hasn't really proved itself, manifested itself in powerful ways in your life. I want us to just kind of read the Lord's words back in Matthew chapter 6 as part of his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, when he addresses this FOMO state, right? And and let's just dive into God's word for a minute from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. Um, Therefore, I tell you, this is the Lord speaking, do not worry about your life, 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, remember we just spoke about Solomon a little while ago, in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek, and here it is, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. All right. So I know that many of you are listening to this piece of scripture and asking yourself, what does it really mean to seek his kingdom first. I've heard that said so many times. And and maybe you're at home wondering, how is, does that really play itself out? Because I've tried in different ways to engage with that word of, that, that scripture from the Lord, that promise from the Lord. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Right? And, and I think for most of us sitting at home today, you're probably telling yourself, look, I am a very responsible, dutiful person. I don't do things recklessly. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I work hard. I provide for my family. I do my best um, at doing these things. Um, and, and I haven't really seen things materialize in, in this explosive, wonderful way that scripture speaks about. Um, but, you know, I'm not a criminal. I'm not going out there hurting people. I'm not living a blatantly necessarily sinful life, right? Um, I'm responsible and yet I haven't seen the, the fruition, the abundance of God just exploding itself in the way that scripture promises. So let's examine, shall we, um, a well-known story um, that most of you have, have heard about in the past that just might have the answer, that just might have the answer. We're going to look at Jesus's visit to the home of Martha and Mary. All right. Now, just to give you a little bit of context before we dive into this piece of scripture, um, Jesus is fresh off of having performed some miracles and having shared some parables. And, um, and he is, um, basically coming, uh, the story takes place in a small village called Bethany, which is about two miles or so from Jerusalem. And so, um, that's the scene. That's the background. Um, let's dive into, 
the physician Luke, um, the book of Luke, chapter 10, uh, verses 38 through 42, the only place in scripture where this story is recounted and recorded. And let me just read the whole story for you. This is Luke's account. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to all what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Wow. Let's let's dive in a little bit deeper and, and see the dynamics of what goes on between these two sisters. Now we see that at the beginning of the story, Martha is actually the one that opens the door and welcomes the Lord in. And um and but scripture immediately points out that after that happens, it's Mary who's seen sitting at the Lord's feet right away, just honed in, honed in immediately when she recognizes that the Lord is in their midst. She immediately drops everything and she hones in and and falls at the feet of Jesus and stays locked in to, to his teaching, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, Martha, in the meantime, is sort of in the background after the welcome. And as you can imagine, Jesus is probably traveling with his entourage right now. And so it's probably not just him, but his disciples are there. So add another 12 to the number, and there might be some other devout followers around. So maybe 12 to 20 people in that vicinity and Martha, being the responsible woman that she is, is thinking to herself, oh my goodness, I need to be the host here. I need to prepare food. They must be famished. I need to get drink ready. I need to get the plates ready. I need to put out the food for them. Um, I need to, to make all the preparations because we got a crowd to feed. I got to go into host mode because that's the proper responsible thing to do. Right. And and so many of you are probably looking at this passage and saying, you know what, I can relate to Martha. I am that way. Right. When 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 there are social norms and customs that need to be addressed, I am the responsible one. Of course, if people if a whole group of people come to my house, I'm going to make sure they they feel loved and cared for. And I am going to go and and throw on my hospitable um hospitality April on and, and get my cooking going and, and make sure they're well fed. Nothing wrong with that. But look how Jesus um, refers 
to Martha, right? Martha is described as distracted by the need for all the preparations, right? Because she was in, engaged in these responsible duties. Um, after all, who else was going to feed the crowd? Somebody had to. And she grows, Martha grows resentful, actually, towards her sister, so much so that she sees the dynamic going on about her sister who who left Martha's side and goes and lays at Jesus' feet um, and says, Lord, don't you see what's going on? Don't you, can you tell her to basically get up and help me? She left me to fend for myself and she's fallen at your feet, but I'm the one that's left to do all the work. Um, Lord, can you intervene and correct her? Right? Is essentially what she's saying. Um, but Jesus says something very striking back to her, right? She doesn't just, he doesn't just call Martha's name out once. She calls, Mar- he, he in sort of an endearing way says, Martha, Martha, right? To say, dear sister, dear sister, or, or my daughter, my daughter, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you out twice because I see these two things, right? You're very upset, you're distressed, and you're distracted. You're distressed, and you're distracted, and your sister here is devoted. You're distressed, and you're distracted. Your sister here is devoted. She has chosen, your sister has chosen the thing that is better that will not be taken away from her. Wow. Wow. I can just imagine her initial reaction as a human being, like Martha's reaction as a human being. Here I am trying to feed you and your crew, and you are making me look like the bad one, and you are elevating my sister, who just left me to do all the work and ran to you. Can you imagine the sibling sort of tension that is building in this time, right? But Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better, and that will not be taken away from her, right? Martha, you've been so caught up in, in, in the, in the distraction and in the, and you seem so distressed, um, that you have missed out the thing that is better, which is my presence, which is communing with me, which is honing in with me, which is locking in with me, right? You miss that. You miss that dynamic, and that is the better thing, right? For those of you at home, I'm sure you guys can relate to sort of this dynamic that that Martha is feeling, right? Like, my wife and I have entertained people in our homes, and a lot of times my poor wife is the one in the kitchen who is making all the last-minute preparations while I get to sit and entertain and talk to the guests that we have, and a lot of times we go through the evening and 95% of the time she may be busy with the cooking and the cleaning and the pre- preparation while I'm the one who gets to connect and enjoy the benefits of the laughter and the jokes and the entertaining with the guests. And and she misses out on that because she is being the responsible one taking care of all the food. Otherwise, we're going to go hungry, right? And so this is a very relatable practical issue, but the Lord goes out of his way to say, look, put this in perspective here. 
you guys, when I walked into your home, you had a God moment there where you can recognize what's going on. You are in my presence. And your sister has chosen devotion to stay honed in with me while you have been so preoccupied, you've been distressed and you've been distracted and you've missed out on the most, most, the more precious thing, which is the actual connection with me. Right? You've been worried about the, the fear of missing out on, on, on all, on, on the preparation and all what the social customs would dictate that you've actually missed the God moment, that you are missing the God moment. What the Lord is saying, and, and he says that, that, that which Mary has chosen is something that will not be taken away from her. What the Lord is essentially say, telling these two sisters is that in the end of it all, when all is said and done, when things, when the sand settles, all that will count in your life, in the halls of eternity, are the things that can't be taken away from you. Right? The kingdom things. Your entire life will in, 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 from heaven's door, from heaven's gaze, will be the summation of all the God moments that you had in your life. All the other things, the clothes you wear, the food you eat, the house you live in, all the other things will waste away. But what will really not be taken away from you, the one thing that will stand, is the summation of all the God moments in your life. That's what eternity will look at and remember and value. Church, I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as I'm preaching to all of you. Make no mistake. You know, from a human standpoint, um, I've entered probably the busiest season of my life, right? You know, at Kaiser, as a family physician, um, I, I lead a department that actually serves about 40 to 50,000 patients um, who currently are like recovering from enormous COVID post-pandemic challenges, right? And I watch over 30 doctors um, and a total staff, about 100 people, um, so imagine every week and every day the number of emails and issues and problems that, that come my way, right? And, and then I go back home after, um, all the challenges that my work presents and I go back home to a home where we have three young children under the age of four who are waiting for daddy to come home. Right. Um, I don't get necessarily a five minute break when I go home. As they hear the car, they will come running up to the door. And um, and so and I still remain active here in leadership at church and in the community. And I am very, very, very susceptible to the Martha mentality. Right. I have responsibilities that kind of demand my time, energy, resources, potentially 24-7, and I have plenty of opportunity to be worried and upset about many things, just like Martha, right? And despite this, 
you would think that I have enough on my plate that I wouldn't be yielding to FOMO, right? But that's not true. Even in my life, despite all the busyness, um, there are times when I will binge actually on things that may not necessarily be bad, but that compete with the God moments in my life that God has for me. Sometimes it's medical stuff. I will actually binge on reading medical articles one after the next, after the next, after the next to, to get up to date with all the latest data that I need. It's not a bad thing. It's a very necessary and good thing for my profession, but that sometimes can lead to crowding out the God moments in my life. There are times when I um, want to be entertained a little bit and 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 there's nothing wrong with that, but I will confess to you, there are shows that I watch where if I get into watching something on Netflix, the one hour that I intended could easily become two hours and three hours, which then cause sleep deprivation, which then bleeds into the next day where I'm getting up late and I don't have the energy to have my devotion time with the Lord. And that three hours, three episodes I saw from 10 p.m. to 1 in the morning now has cost me my time, my time of devotion with the Lord the following morning. More recently, um, with our third kid, I've, I've just gotten more into learning about stocks and investing. And, and I found myself kind of watching a lot of videos at nighttime when the kids are asleep to kind of learn about the world economy, the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, um, the NASDAQ and how stocks and bonds and work. And, and, and that's, that's brought me some level of excitement, except that when that turned into an all-encompassing thing, I heard the Holy Spirit whispering to me saying, Sanjeev, Sanjeev, Sanjeev. Don't miss the God moments that I have for you. You know, I felt the rebuke of the Holy Spirit just nudging me, saying these things and in themselves are not necessarily evil or bad, but the moment that they distract you from me, the moment you think that escaping into the fantasy worlds created by all the shows you watch is somehow more compelling than the real life I have for you and and the stories and the streams I'm about to create for you, the moment you start gravitating towards fantasy land, um, we've got a problem here. The moment where you think filling your mind with more medical knowledge at the cost of quiet times with me, we have a problem here. The moment that you think learning about financial investing um, at the cost of having morning quiet times with me, we have a problem here because you are allowing for the distractions and the distress to somehow compete with the devotion. You are, you are acting more like Martha and, and less like Mary. And, and the Holy Spirit's been just convicting me of that in the last few days and months in a very particular way. Folks, church, I know you're sitting there this morning and, and you're wondering, well, you know, what, what do I need to do, right? I, and I would submit to you a very simple thing. This is not a 10 step, uh, plan to get you back on track. I want to say this very simply. Be more like Mary. Mary of Bethany. 
if you look at the entirety of scripture, the thing that blows my mind away about Mary of Bethany, you know, the sister that just came at, at the Lord's feet while Martha watched, the two other times that scripture talks about this Mary of Bethany, I would encourage you to go and read John chapter 11 and 12. John chapter 11 talks about the time where 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 Mary, this very same Mary, when her um, brother Lazarus was dead for four days, the first thing she does when the Lord comes with the potential of bringing her her brother back to life. We talked earlier, Scott earlier shared about a God who can bring life back into death and dark places. Well, Jesus did that um, and, and came to the tomb of Lazarus and Mary was actually Lazarus's sister. And what what is the first thing Mary, what, what's the first thing she does? She falls at the feet of Jesus. She falls at the feet of Jesus, just like she did when Jesus visited her in her home. And then if you read on to chapter 12, you will see that there's another opportunity when, where Jesus makes an entrance. And what is the third, third account of, of this Mary of Bethany? She falls again at Jesus' feet. And she, she takes an expensive perfume and she washes the Lord's feet and dries the Lord's feet with her hair. Three times, all three times that, that Mary of Bethany is spoken about in scripture, her, her disposition is always falling at the feet of Jesus. It's falling at the feet of Jesus, no matter what anybody else says. No matter what her sister says, no matter what the disciples around Jesus say, she falls at the feet of Jesus because she realizes that is the only thing that she needs. That is the only thing. Not that the other things are not important, but relative to being in the presence of Jesus, being at the Lord's feet is where it's at. That is going to be the game changer. That is going to be the game changer. That is going to be the power that can resurrect and that did resurrect her brother from from the dead. And the Lord values that. The Lord values that more than anything else is our devotion unto Him. Church, this morning, I just want to ask you the question. Are you dwelling in places of distress and distraction? Are you ready to submit yourself to devotion? Falling at the feet of Jesus. Only cure for FOMO that I know. Only cure for FOMO that I know. I would submit to you the psalmist, um, David, finally caught on. And um, I want to read for you as we close today. Psalm chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. The psalmist gets this, and he gets this in a very personal, intimate way. He says this, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely 
I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Wow. It is one of my favorite, favorite portions of scripture. Because in here, the psalmist gets it. He's got the secret of life boiled down, right? That he says that I, 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 at your feet, Lord, at your feet, in your presence, you fill me with great joy and your eternal pleasures are at your right hand. And so when you are wondering at home today, how do I get out of this funk? How do I stop feeling like life is passing me by? that others around me are experiencing and engaging in so many exciting, wonderful things while I'm just stuck in a period, I would tell you it's very simple. Do as Mary of Bethany did. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Fall at the feet of Jesus. Choose today that which is better. You can choose to dwell in some distraction, in some distress, or you can choose devotion. Choose today that which is better. Don't be consumed by the other pursuits. Don't dig your heel into just being even busier or even being more distracted. Um, Choose today to fall at the feet of Jesus. As we close, I'm going to just pray for us. Lord, we just welcome you right now to take your full reign among us. Lord, as people are listening right now, we know, Father, that you are stirring in the hearts of your people, that your spirit is moving. Lord, and as you are bringing up, as you are bringing up to light areas in people's lives where they have felt like they're missing out, Lord, would you take that, the distress in that, Lord? Would you take the distractions that they have plunged into? And would you, Lord, start showing everybody in, in your unique way what devotion looks like? what falling at your feet looks like day in and day out, day in and day out. Because Lord, we know that as the psalmist said, that if we do that, if we do as Mary of Bethany did, that we can hold on to this promise that you will put pleasant boundaries for us that you will give us a delightful inheritance, that you will counsel us 
even in the middle of the night, if we just keep our eyes fixed on you, we will not be shaken. You will not abandon us. You will not forsake us. You will make known to each and every one of us the path of life which will bring great joy in your presence and pleasures evermore. Heavenly pleasures. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.